Hi, my name is Jen. I'm a holistic nurse practitioner, and I'm here to tell you that your body can heal. I've healed eight different chronic and autoimmune conditions that had me bedridden sick with little hope for my future in my 20s. I've created this podcast to inspire you and give you the tools to heal your body, your mind, your heart, your spirit, and your life. This podcast is for patients, practitioners, and people who want to listen from the place where spirit and science meet. As we heal our body, we have a body that moves well, thinks well, loves well, and that is a body we want to be in for this life to carry out our soul's work. I'm so glad you're here tuning in with us. Now let's get to this week's episode. Every cell of your body has hormone receptors. Those receptors both require nutrients to function and the nutrients require the hormones for the nutrients to be able to be assimilated. So we have to have hormones in order to be healthy. The unfortunate thing that particularly cancer sufferers don't understand, the number one cause of death of women in the United States is heart disease. The number one cause of death of men in the United States is heart disease, not mm -hmm. prostate cancer, not breast cancer in women. Breast cancer is in fact, number six, I think it is. Mm -hmm. It's heart disease. So what's the first thing that the doctors do when you get breast cancer, prostate cancer, they kill all your hormones. Mm. How do they do so that? You're probably not going to die of breast cancer and prostate cancer because you're going to die of heart disease first. You're going to die of a heart attack first, more often than not. The research also shows your immune system is absolutely correlated to your hormone levels. And so we have to have adequate hormone levels in order for our immune system to work like it's supposed to, to go after and clear out the cancer. Yeah. And so for us to heal, let's say you go in and you have a mastectomy. Let's say you go in and you have a prostatectomy. You have to heal from that trauma. Surgery is a trauma. You need the hormones in order for the cells to be able to regenerate, in order to be able to heal and able to be able to put that system back together and operate like it's supposed to, in order to be able to clear the anesthesia, in order to clear all the antibiotics and the drugs and things that you were put on for that surgery. The hormones are a key component of that. And we know the hormones, whether male or female, are key to heart, brain, and bone health. Mm -hmm. And without those, those things fall apart. Yes. And those are the leading causes of death. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Inspire Health by Jen podcast. I am so excited. I am here with a very special guest that I have for us this week, holistic physician and husband of our favorite holistic pharmacist from episode 10. If you remember, Lisa, I have Dr. Arden Anderson here and oh my gosh, he is his reel of credits. Let me just start now. He's a PhD. And if that wasn't enough, he's also a doctor, a DO, like a medical doctor. And we'll get into that. And he is a master's of public health and a former flight surgeon. How incredible. He's board certified in public health, osteopathic medicine, prolotherapy, and works both as an integrative family doctor and a soil and crop consultant, which you will hear 
much about on the show. Dr. Anderson is a holistic physician that possesses a unique understanding of the link between soil, human health, climate issues, public health, preventative medicine, and also he's really a lighthouse when it comes to holistic cancer healing. Dr. Anderson has authored several agricultural books, including Food Plague, Real Medicine, Real Health, science and agriculture, and the anatomy of life and energy in agriculture. Dr. Anderson was raised on a small dairy farm in Michigan, where he initially gained an appreciation for land and animals and how nature works and how we're like nature and how this is going to help us heal. And then he moved to Kansas 10 years ago when after marrying the lovely Lisa Everett Anderson of Olathe, an owner of O'Brien Pharmacy in Mission, Kansas. And we know in this community how much O'Brien Pharmacy has helped our health and changed our lives. So together they have six adult children. And when Dr. Anderson, he's not caring for patients, he's ballroom dancing, he's skiing, he's golfing, he's on podcast. He's giving lectures at scientific symposiums. He's writing more books. He is brilliant. I mean, are you impressed or what? I've snagged him for an hour and we're so grateful to have him here today to discuss a wide range of topics from preventive medicine, the patient versus the profit model, AKA, you know, when you go to the doctor and you don't get any answers or what you need, we're going to talk about that plus holistic cancer treatment options. I really need you to hear this. So let's get started. Welcome to the show, Dr. Anderson. Oh, thank you very much, Jen. I'd like to meet that guy. Wow. That's great. Thank you very <laughs> much. I'm flattered. Uh, well, we are so grateful you're here. I had to have dinner with Dr. Anderson and Lisa not too long ago, and we were just having some really organic and natural conversations. And I kept asking him all these questions. I'm like, why I should be paying for his time. I'm learning so much. And then I was like, I have an idea. Do you want to come on the podcast? And he so graciously said, yes. So thank you so much for being here. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. You're welcome. So how did you find yourself in holistic medicine? I know you designated yourself initially you went the DO route. So to me, right. correct me if I'm wrong, that says something a little bit different about the way you might see medicine, but how did you land where you're at today? Right. Um, it's kind of a long story, really. It, it, um, like you said in the introduction, it kind of started when I was a child on the farm. My father and grandfather both recognized that nutrition was absolutely correlated to animal health. And my father as well, when he went through ag school in the 1940s, had an ag teacher that was also the cooperative extension agent in Michigan. And back then they were both the ag teacher in school and so on. And the ag teacher says, told them, and he said he distinctly remembered this. This is what Michigan State says you should do on the farm, but this is what really works. And that stuck with him as well as that was my early childhood education. And my father's veterinary bill for the year was less than the average dairy farmer's uh, monthly veterinary bill. And wow. it was because my father understood really the reason the cattle are having issues with their feet or with calving or with retained placentas or any of those kinds of things. It's all about nutrition. It's how you feed the animal, not what's going on because of their milk production and so on. And so that's kind of where we started with that. My father was and parents were very open-minded relative to alternative medicine. My father started going to a chiropractor, which heaven forbid, you know, particularly <laughs> back in the 60s, talking about going to a chiropractor. Oh my goodness, you lost your mind. And my high school uh, football physician was a DO. 
Okay. And so that was a little bit different approach with things at that time. Of course, DOs didn't have a real good reputation and yet DOs were the primary care physicians in a lot of rural America period. And initially I went to the air force Academy. I wanted to be an astronaut <laughs> and I got disenchanted really with the way that the, um, the, Honor code was administered. Um, if you remember a little bit of history back at that time, 1976, when I went, was the first year they had women in the academies. Mm -hmm. um, and shortly after that, they had um, significant problems with um, uh, sexual abuse cases, drug abuse cases. I mean, cheating cases. It was all that kind of stuff. So I, I really got disenchanted and ended up going to University of Arizona and actually getting a degree in ag education. And I thought, okay, I actually, I really do like agriculture. I'll go back to that. But as I got involved more and more in integrative or biological agriculture, a couple people who were very uh, influential in my career, one was Dr. Phil Callahan, who was an entomologist that actually proved that um, insects don't attack healthy crops. They only attack sick crops, which is really a difficult concept for even the average person to comprehend. He says, no, that's the way insects operate. Wait, is that and true? Their antennas are not just there as hat racks. They actually tune into the radio wave, infrared and ultraviolet waves coming off from the food or their um, mates. He told me you need to go to medical school. And um, then I had a chiropractor friend of mine who also became a very good friend who was also a holistic chiropractor. He told me the same thing. So you need to go to medical school, but he says you need to go to osteopathic school. And so I was 34 when I finally went to medical school and went to actually the California school. And the reason I chose the California school, one, I was doing a lot of agriculture consulting in California and grapes and various other uh, commodities. But the California school at that time did not have all of their rotations locked in to the hospitals. They had, because it was a younger school, they had more independent rotations that you could go to. That allowed me to go and rotate with physicians that were doing integrative medicine. And I rotated with a doctor in Michigan, Grant Bourne, who was doing chelation therapy. He was doing prolotherapy. He was doing bioidentical hormone replacement therapy. What a concept. In fact, he was the first physician in Western Michigan to do so. He started uh -huh. practicing about 1962. So that's when family docs did everything. Literally, they delivered all their babies. They did appendectomies, tonsillectomies. They did all of that stuff before they had CTs and MRIs and those kinds of things. So he taught me really how to do physical exam. <clears throat> and so that's kind of how I ended up, got out of medical school, did my internship and went right there to the Bourne Clinic. Um, and he unfortunately passed in about 14 months, but I had 14 months of tutorial personally with this man, which was really a great education for me. Eventually I did go and do my residency, but Initially, that was my introduction to medicine. Wow. I feel like you have given us a whole episode's worth of gold and nuggets, but we're going to keep going. But I have to ask you something. Okay. So the insects 
This is not yes. my script of questions to ask you, Dr. Anderson. <laughs> um, the insects attack the unhealthy crops. Is that true about people? Do you Absolutely. Think? Yes. And so the reality is there's nothing in nature that happens by accident. Mm-hmm. Medicine would like us to believe, conventional medicine and conventional agriculture would like us to believe that everything is by accident. And that in order for us to live here, we have to conquer nature. Mm. And so whether that's through drugs and chemotherapy and radiation and all that kind of stuff in medicine, or whether that's by pesticides or genetic engineering in agriculture, the mentality is still the military industrial complex mentality. War games, that's what it's all about. And you heard that in 1973 when Richard Nixon said, we've declared war on cancer. Well, the problem with that whole process is, is that people forget how nature actually operates. The work of Phil Callahan has been taken on by a student of his, Tom Dykstra, who actually now has proven the physics that insects actually communicate via electromagnetic radiation. So the infrared, the ultraviolet, their antennas are not just hat racks. They actually tune into the signatures of the crop because what a concept insects digestive system is different than yours and mine, which means they don't digest well the same foods that make us healthy. They don't have the enzymes to do so, but what they do digest well are free nitrogens free and easy amino acids and nutrients. Those are the nutrients that are going to be in deficient crops because as the crop gets healthier and healthier, those carbohydrates and and, um, amino acids become complete proteins, Mm -hmm. complex systems that require the enzymes that we have in our digestive system. They are not nutrients then to insects. Unfortunately, most people have never experienced that in the field. I have, or in their gardens, I have. It's about getting the nutrition up. So the integrity of the plant is what it's supposed to be for our health. The insects leave it alone because nature has set up a system to protect us from eating things that don't give us health. Mm -hmm. It's called insects or diseases and Uh, Mm. fungus things and so on to take out those crops that do not provide us with a foundation of nutrient necessary for us to be healthy. Well, that doesn't sell a lot of pesticides. That doesn't sell a lot of drugs. And so of course the military industrial complex, which includes big pharma, doesn't want us to hear that, but that's what I was taught early on. Thanks to people like Phil Callahan. Oh, that's amazing. So I'm, going out on a proverbial limb here and just assuming is it could it be happening that there's a natural intelligence and feedback loop that the insects could be here and biting us like I think of all the bug bites I get on my feet in the summer and and like even with my dogs one dog gets more than the other are the insects here (laughs) to like help reprogram and regenerate and, and help in a sense like promote our health Yes and no. Some of that is, is that they are, depending on the the insect, where it's a bite or a sting, Mm -hmm. um, 
you, if you look through some of the Chinese medicine approach with acupuncture and so on, they will say that the insects are targeting certain acupuncture points and certain meridians. At wow. the same time, the insects are also attracted by what pheromones we're kicking out. And mm -hmm. depending upon what our B vitamin levels are, what our nutrient balances are, what our carbohydrate balances are, what our protein balances are, those are things then that we will emit or sweat out. Yeah. And depending upon our health, the insect sees that as potential attractant. And that's why they will come and bite or sting. Fascinating. I, for the longest time, I'm learning so much, thought that the bugs liked me because I tasted like fruit because I eat a lot of fruit. <laughs> but maybe that's incorrect. All right. Well, that myth is debunked. I want to ask you, we, we were talking a little bit about this at dinner the other night. And I was like, if I could just hook up a mic to you and have everyone hear this. And I was like, wait, I can't, we'll just, we'll schedule this. So we were talking about the patient versus profit model. And you've been a CMO of different, you know, you, you have from your own practice to running really high level organizations to flight surgeon and being, you know, in the military, you've really seen medical operations from all spectrums and this patient versus profit model is something we got really into and to to give layman's meaning to anyone listening basically why when people go to the doctor even some holistic doctors even some holistic healing for really intense conditions centers they don't get the results they need what's right. going on right very good question um and it's the same whether we're talking about agriculture or we're talking about human health the bottom line is is that they forget the foundation and the foundation with all health or disease is really about our diet, but diet doesn't sell any supplements. Diet doesn't send you for any therapies or any scans or any tests or anything like that, that generate income for the clinic. For me, to sit here, if you came to me as a patient and we first start with a foundation, okay, before we're going to do anything, we're going to talk about your diet. What got you here to begin with? That's the foundation that created the expression of whatever genes you have and whatever illness then because of your genes and the foundation upon which you built that that's really what that's about. That's the first place we have to start. And it's all about then foundational nutrition. Mm -hmm. Most practitioners, one, don't understand that. Number two, haven't built their practice model around that results. They've built their practice model around doing more procedures, doing more testing. Person comes in and they leave with a $4,000 test bill. First and they have no therapy and they've gotten no treatment at all. And they're saying, well, we want to do all that because we really want to find out where you're at. Well, the one benefit I had by spending 14 months with Grant Bourne and as well, interesting, I did my emergency rotation at San Bernardino County Hospital and the physician that I had, the preceptor there was a Vietnamese doctor hmm. who was born and raised in Vietnam. South Vietnam. And he said um, repeatedly when I would come to him with a patient to present to him, 
he would quiz me on my history and physical because he said, you know, when I was in Vietnam, he said, it would take us 10 days to get a year analysis done. He said, if I waited 10 days to decide whether or not I'm going to treat this patient, they're dead. Mm. Mm -hmm. So Dr. Bourne was very much the same way. He drilled into me the importance of doing history and physical. Yeah. Testing only really verifies what you suspect from your history and physical. Right. Yep. And and so you only do that if you aren't really certain about what went on and or we need to monitor then what else has happened to them. Because we know, and you know as well, as soon as you change a person's diet, a lot of that standard testing changes, like their cholesterol, for example, or their their blood pressure even. Uh, Those things change. So for me to hit them with a $4,000 bill going out to shoot and saying that, okay, well, we're going to wait until all this test comes back. And then we're going to decide, um, you know, what therapies to start you on. Uh, I, I think we've done a disservice to the patient, but that's really what the model is for a lot of integrative practices. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's just an arbitrary thing here. You're going to do this therapy, this therapy, and this therapy. Well, wait a minute. Why am I going to do that? But mm-hmm. it doesn't matter what you eat. Mm-hmm. Uh, just go ahead and just continue to eat whatever you're eating. Well, that's what's got them into the office. It's yeah. not the lack of an ozone treatment, for example, or mm-hmm. the lack of a vitamin C IV or the lack of some other therapy that brought them to the office. It's the diet, the foundation that they have built upon for X number of years, whatever it is, if they're 50, 60, 70 years old. That's really why we got to start with that. And Mm -hmm. so unfortunately, so many practices have been built around just doing all of these peripheral things because that's what generates a lot of cash. Yes. And so you, I'm sure, have seen that as well with patients. And I have, they come to you, they've got a a, a grocery bag full of supplements Mm -hmm. and their funds are exhausted. They've spent thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. And well, doctor... I'm not really that much better, but I don't have any more money either. Yeah. And and so that's why they come in. And it's, it's frustrating and equally rewarding when we do get the results, when they come in with their supplements, they've been to all the fancy clinics and spent all this money. And then they, I know you have this Dr. Anderson, where they talk to you and then you're like, here's what I want you to do. And it's almost like a part of the, the human ego, like resist the, like, it's really that simple because of the accountability of like, no, I want the ozone therapy or I want the 15 bottles of supplements. I want something outside of myself to help me heal. Oh, you're going to tell me I have to completely change my diet. Nah, I'm going to go keep spending money with this guy. Over right. Here. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I, I see that so often. And it, like I said, it's the same thing back to the farm. Um, mm-hmm. What you mean? I don't need a vet out to spend all this money on these antibiotics and various other drugs and, and all those kinds of things. All I have to do is change the animal's diet. What? What were these cows eating versus the stereotypical cow? So typically you look at now all of the large feedlot based animal operations, whether it's beef or dairy or whatever it might be, they're feeding a lot of processed foods Mm -hmm. instead of grass, 
cattle are ruminants. They eat grass. That's what makes them healthy. That's what gets the rumen operating like it's supposed to. But what's happened in these confined spaces, they load them with seeds, corn and various other things and soybean meal and, and so on and so forth. So what that happens is, is, is it causes the rumen to go acid. So they produce a lot of acidosis and a lot of inflammation. Mm -hmm. So you cut their life expectancy. You may put on a lot of fat, which typically you do because that's what they want in feedlots for gaining weight or in cattle. And so dairy cows now have an average of just 1.4 gestations lifetime wow. in dairy cattle in the United States oh today. I did not know They're, that. Yep. Because the, the way that uh, dairy cows are dealt with today, and I'm certainly not promoting um, the consumption of dairy, but I'm just saying the way that they promote it is that they get the, the uh, young heifer bred. She gives a calf, has a calf, and they then milk her until she drops below a production level. And then they send her to the slaughterhouse mm. because they burn them out that quick with the diet that they push them with. They basically are burned out. They premature aging and to the uh, stockyard they go. Perfect. And so that's just the model. Um, you don't bring them back and have another calf. I grew up in a dairy operation where we may have 12 or 15 calves out of a cow wow and, um, <laughs> particularly a, a high producing cow she's doing well she also takes care of her calves well and we get good uh, progeny out of that as well as from a production basis so it's the same thing in both models because you're really getting your information from the same drug companies whether mm -hmm. they're producing veterinary medicines or they're producing yeah. human medicines it's still the drug model which then funds the research at the universities so it doesn't matter whether it's the vet school or whether it's the medical school it's still funded by the same companies yeah. and it's still the same model to perpetuate the same profit center Let's be honest, the healing journey can be hard. From cooking to consultations and trying to live a life in between, oftentimes you just run out of energy. Are you looking for a therapy that can shoulder some of this healing work for you? Well, I have got just the thing. Infrared has been the second best thing next to food as my medicine to heal all eight autoimmune and chronic conditions from my body. These infrared devices I'm going to tell you about literally helped me melt my eczema that was from my collarbone to my forehead away while I was healing with symptomless nutrition. I woke up every morning with skin that was cracked, bleeding so stiff, I could not even smile. But thank goodness for infrared as this was the only thing to truly help my skin be more supple, the eczema to heal, my fatigue to reduce, and my body to flush out the inflammation through heat shock proteins so I could be here sharing this good news with you today. Truth be told, I still use my infrared sauna every single day because it makes me feel so good. So how can infrared help you heal? I want you to think of your body like one giant solar panel. You know, the ones that sit on rooftops and turn sun into energy inside of the home. Our bodies are basically doing the same thing, whether that's from the sun or healing infrared devices. By exposing our skin to sunlight, seven dehydrocholesterol in the skin 
absorbs the UVB light and is converted to pre-vitamin D3. From there, it changes into vitamin D3, and then your body uses it for anti-inflammatory healing. And research suggests this may result in more soluble mediators, such as endorphins, serotonin being released, think happy, feel good, anti-inflammatory, and increased ATP production by the mitochondria just from the infrared use. Your body is going to feel so, so good and relieved deeply with the infrared light. So where to start? Start with an infrared sauna. If you're ready to go in, sweat and deeply detox and heal fast. If you need to take it slow, a juve red light by itself or combined with a biomat is a more gentle option that can be used anytime, anywhere without breaking the sweat. Simply head over to inspirehealthbygen.com slash infrared dash therapy, or click on the link infrared in the show notes. That's inspirehealthbygen.com slash infrared dash therapy. On the webpage, you will see an opportunity for up to a $600 discount for the infrared saunas and $50 to $100 discount for the biomats and the red light devices. So get that discount, head over to inspirehealthbygen.com slash infrared dash therapy. Yeah, absolutely. I love that you're able to bring this to light. I think in my generation of medicine, we've all been told this and, and those who can see it, adopt it, but you've lived it. You've gone back to you yes. know, the you're like, no, this is what I was seeing. And I can tell you, this is how it's playing out now. So the cattle, they have this gold standard of the grass. Would you ever give them grain? Is there any reason to give cattle grain? Not really. If you put the nutrition in the grass where it's supposed to be, you'll raise the carbohydrate level and uh-huh. you won't need it for energy. You won't need the grain for energy because typically what they're giving grain for is to raise the energy level. And it's yeah. because typically the grass is so weak, so poorly nutritionalized that there's no carbohydrate to speak mm-hmm. of in it. So they got to supplement with other things in order to bring that energy level up for that animal ration. Okay. Cause I grew up on a farm and I want farm animals again. So I'm, I'm, yes. I'm, this is really fascinating. Even in the winter time, they would just have like, hay, even if there was Correct. no, birth. okay. Correct. Well, actually it depends on where you are now. Um, there's a farmer, Gabe Brown in North Dakota okay. that grazes his cattle year round outside. And what he does is he will plant winter greens like kale, cabbage, radishes he's got his soil built up so they don't ever completely freeze off they continue to grow throughout the winter now we're talking about north dakota here we're not talking about kansas we're talking about north dakota it's cold it's cold grazes the cattle year round does not supplement them at all doesn't have to supplement them the other interesting thing is i know this is a little bit of a side note one thing that he's also figured out is In conventional agriculture, they force calving in January and February. Mm -hmm. So you're dropping newborn babies in the snow and ice. Wow, that makes a lot of sense, right? When did deer drop their fawns? Late spring. Oh, May, June, when it's warm, when the weather's good, when you don't have to worry about them freezing to death. So what Gabe Brown did, he says, 
you know, we're having problems all the time with calving until we decided to look at nature. When do the buffalo give birth to their uh, calves? When do deer give birth to the fawns? Uh, May, June. All right, we're going to calve everything in May, June. They don't have any calving loss now. They don't have to babysit them to help with the calving. And so just little things like that, part of the management side, improves animal health. And so why did they, because I see that in my agriculture and like farm background growing up, most right. of the farmers, we were doing lambing or calving in January, right. February. Why is that even for like small family farms, is that just modeling, like we're modeling off of what we saw? Is there a profit driven reason behind the industry doing this? One, because that's the way the university have told them to do it because, oh, wait a minute, springtime, we need to be in the field planting crops. Okay. So we don't mm -hmm. want to have to be taking care of the animals. We don't care if that's not the best time for the animals to calve yeah. for their health. Oh, it's most convenient for us. So yeah. that's when we're going to calve them. So okay. it's ridiculous. No, we need to calve them there. And and the thing about it is, is as Gabe Brown talks about now, he says, I don't have to spend any time with them. So he says, it doesn't interfere with my cropping in the springtime yeah. because the animals are healthy. We don't have any losses. We don't have to nursemaid them to help pull the calves. Yep. We're in the wintertime. They do. Yeah. But that's also partly nutrition. Mm. Why that occurs. Because there are hormones. And for those listening, we're going to get to hormones. Dr. Anderson is a wealth yes. of knowledge that the wheels are, are turning on and clicking for me. The last thing I want to ask about the farm animals, because I know we have a lot of listeners in this community who have homesteads and farm animals right. and they're um, as just pure enjoyment. So for their nutrition, you're talking about not, they don't really need the grain. What about spraying the fields? Cause most from small family farms to big industries, like you need to fertilize and spray your fields for healthy hay for those who produce their own hay. Do you have any guidance? Right. Well, again, we need to get back to basic nutrition with that. So we've got to look at what is and isn't growing out there. What kind of weed pressures do they have? Because that tells us what nutrients are imbalanced. And then when we foliar spray, we foliar spray nutrients. And so we need to be getting traces out there as well. Now, some of the operations that I consulted in New Zealand, you had so much hill, I mean, rough areas no way you could get a tractor on them. Okay, well then how did we do anything with the nutrition there? We would put out free choice minerals and not mineral mixes. We would put out eight to 12 individual minerals in boxes, covered boxes, and the animals on their own would choose which minerals they needed. And then through the mineral, uh, through the manure and the urine, they would fertilize the field over time. Beautiful. And in doing that, literally in one to two years, we would change the outcome of their, well, there we're looking at sheep. So we would uh, change the outcome of their lambing. And an example was that what we saw, particularly in Australia, more than New Zealand, the eagles would come in and steal the lambs after lambing. And about 50% of the ewes would have to be physically helped. So the farmer would have to be out there babysitting and yeah. pulling the lambs because they couldn't give birth to them. Well, that was a mineral issue. We started putting um, multiple minerals out there. And what we found out by the end of the second season, no more lambing losses to the eagles. And you say, well, how is that possible? Because the ewes now had enough energy 
both to lamb, we didn't have to babysit them anymore, and to protect their lambs from the eagles. Where before, when they were so weak, they didn't really care. They didn't have the nutrient density to be able to take care of their lambs. And so the eagles uh-huh. would come in and take them. That is, in my imagination, quite the sight. I grew up with sheep. And I'm like, that is a strong eagle and a very weak you. <laughs> to That is correct. That is wow. correct. Yep. And and so how can you relate us to the sheep and the cattle? Because I've come from a labor and delivery background and watching women just either struggling to have spontaneous labor on their own right. to being able, you know, the incompetent cervix or a failure to progress, whatever it is. Right. Is it minerals? Is it hormones? Where are we yes. at as humans? Uh, and- typically it's going to be minerals and particularly, um, and particularly with those things, it's going to be your major minerals, your calcium and magnesium, the potassium balances, mm-hmm. as you know, well, um, I was going to say, as you know, in animals, well, in cattle, for example, um, we will see a lot of utter edema, leg swelling, ankle edema, and essentially that's a preeclampsic issue. And what it is, is that it's a diet real high in potassium, mm. real low in calcium and magnesium. Okay. And so they're going to have calving problems. So they're going to have a difficulty in delivery. They're just, they just get wore out. That's what happens. And so you have to physically pull the calf. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the lambs are the same with the ewes. And so we have to start with getting some of those basic minerals in there, the calcium, the magnesium. Usually we don't need more potassium because they're usually getting already too much potassium, but there's such an imbalance there with that. And then the sulfur and the trace minerals and things come along with that as well. But primarily it's going to be calcium and magnesium are insufficient. And there's some imbalance with the phosphorus and a few things like that as well. That's why we give them free choice. Mm -hmm. Unlike people, animals will go to salt licks, they'll go to mineral licks and various uh, herbs in order to get the minerals that they need. And so that's why when we put out free choice minerals individually for them, they will take care of themselves and get that mineralization back in their bodies as they need to. Beautiful. So the the sheep and the cattle, they're grazing on grass or in the winter, even some of the root vegetables that are still in the ground. Yes. How do we set ourselves up as humans for mineral and hormone success? What is our gold standard nutrition or how could we start to look at our food for better health? More variety, I think, is the most important thing. And that's one of the things that we see. Um, My good friend, Paul Detloff, now passed, said that a cow will typically on her own eat a hundred different plants per day. Wow a hundred different plants per day. That's how she finds the nutrients that she needs to get on a daily basis by collecting all of those different plants. So how many things do we eat in a day in our diet? You know, when we think about that, what, five, six maybe in a day? So we really have to increase the variety of our diet. And that really is plant-based. That's the only way you're going to increase that variety is by getting a broader plant-based approach um, to nutrition. And so there's so many people, I'm sure you've heard them as well. Well, I don't like kale. Well, I don't like this. Oh, I don't like that. So do you want to get healthy or don't you? 
And so what you do <laughs> is you you figure out how to alter things with various herbs and spices and mixes so that you can tolerate those things. And so, for example, making smoothies, we found out with my father because he had an oral cancer, he passed in 87. He got to a point where he couldn't eat food anymore. He could only take it as a smoothie and he had him on supplements and so on. So what I figured out, well, this man likes lemon. So mm -hmm. I would take the whole lemon, rind and all, wash it in soap and water and throw it into the blender with all the other things. Mm -hmm. Did the trick. It yeah. covered the B vitamin taste. It covered anything in there that he didn't really like with that pervasive lemon rind. Plus we got bioflavonoids and things with that. So I tell patients, if you have that issue in a smoothie, get a mandarin orange, wash it in soap and water. Ideally you'd have the organic. I'd still wash it in soap and water and clean it. Throw the whole mandarin orange in with the peel because you're getting bioflavonoids, but that little bit of bitterness is just sufficient to cover most of the other tastes mm -hmm. that people don't like. And so that's how you increase your variety. You put things in you don't like, but then you cover it with a taste that is better. When I got married to Lisa, I very much dislike <laughs> radishes. Yeah. She always told me how I needed them. I said, well, that's nice, but I don't like them. I eat them all the time now. How? And so, well, part of it is, is that I've changed my nutrient level as well over time. And it's part of a mixed salad that has various different spices and, and um, herbs and things in there to cover that. And so it doesn't bother me as much. more. I, I can't tell you it's my favorite food. <laughs> yeah. But nonetheless, I tolerate it just fine now. Where 20 years ago, I wouldn't. Yeah. How would you... I, Dr. Anderson, you and I come from the same school of thought, but for those listening who maybe have heard different from other physicians or quote unquote experts that, oh, you don't need plants. You can eat the animal that eats the plants, or you can get everything from just animal protein. How would you help educate around that? Well, I think first of all, is that they need to do a little bit of their own homework. Mm -hmm. And part of it is, is that if we just go in and look at the research, there is no paper, not one research study in the world that says the more meat you eat, the less disease you have. Mm. Not one anywhere, but yeah. there is a plethora of double blind, placebo controlled studies, retrospective studies, prospective studies, um, case control studies, all kinds that the more plant-based we are, the more successful we are in treating disease. Mm -hmm. Caldwell um, Esselstein at Cleveland Clinic, which is the heart center of the United States, proved that with a plant-based diet in six months, he could reverse cardiovascular disease, advance cardiovascular disease. Yep. There is no study anywhere in the world that says, oh, just... Just eat more meat. If you go on a carnivore diet, you'll reverse your heart, cardio, cardiovascular disease. No, you won't. You'll actually increase it because that's what caused it. And yeah. a lot of times that's not politically correct. Right. I understand that. But do you want to reverse the disease or don't you? 
And the data is very clear today. More and more it's coming out. And it's not coming out by politically active groups trying to um, you know, put down this or put down that. It's it's medical researchers looking for answers. Mm-hmm. And so that's the only way we really get the great variety um, in what's going on. I recently saw, well, recently, the last six months, new anthropological studies going back, <clears throat> and most all of the anthropology studies on our ancestors look for macroscopic um, evidence of what the diet was. And so they assume that all of the ancient ancestors of ours were primarily carnivores. Well, there was some interesting researchers that said, well, but plants are not going to fossilize if there's debris left over from what you ate. If it were plant-based, there's not going to be any fossils macroscopically. They started looking at microscopic evidence relative to the teeth. Mm. And they found the diets were primarily plant-based, not animal-based in our ancestors. It's crazy living in a world where the media in our face that I see, whether it's social media or mainstream media is the carnivore, the protein, like no one's talking about the plants yet. It's clear in the evidence. I don't have to tell you, I'm just reiterating this for our listeners that in the evidence, your health is all outlined for you. So just to be considering where, where we're getting our information from, I want to pivot a little bit and ask you in your clinical practice and your research, what is predisposing the human body to, I'd love to talk about cancer, autoimmune and getting into hormones, whatever you think we need to hear on, on that. Cause I want to shift into the hormones. Cause you have quite impressive research on the hormones. The diet really is the most important thing, the diet. And without question, <clears throat> what happens is, is the diet sets us up to be more susceptible than to all of the chemicals that we're exposed to. Yeah. Because, and, and why I, why I uh, phrase it that way we know that regardless what pesticides you are or have been exposed to, if we change your diet, we reverse your disease. Yeah. We haven't put you in a bubble where there's zero exposure to any pesticides. We have changed though your diet, which changes the nutrients that you have for your liver and the rest of your body in order to detoxify those pesticides and those chemicals. And I'm not saying we're hundred percent successful in doing that, <clears throat> but we do know that we significantly reverse disease by just changing diet. Yeah, That doesn't take away still the continued stress that pesticides, industrial chemicals, plastics, um, um, electromagnetic pollution, all that stuff has on us. It simply means we've got to have even more nutrition then in order to address the stress results of those things. Absolutely. I love that. So if someone's faced with a cancer diagnosis, what treatment options do they really have that maybe they're not aware of? Yeah. First of all, I always tell all my patients, regardless of uh, cancer patients, regardless of 
what they're going to do. I think a second opinion is always judicious. Mm-hmm. Conventionally, a second opinion. And I say this because I had a patient <clears throat> 15 years ago who went to a um, local hospital. This is outside of Gary, Indiana. And he was told that he had gallbladder cancer and he needed emergent surgery. Oh my goodness. You know, the gallbladder cancer really grows fast. You got to get this done immediately. His brother, who was a um, a prostate cancer survivor, a patient of mine called me and said, Dr. Anderson, what do you think about that? He says, "I I just don't feel good about that. I said, take him to Mayo Clinic. I said, we always need to get a second opinion. I think Mayo does a wonderful job in giving us second opinions mm-hmm. um, because they're not locally uh, charged so much. Went up there and all they found was, oh, well, you have a um, just a little uh, anomaly that you were born with in your gallbladder. There's no cancer. There's a- absolutely no abnormality there. You're fine. Go home. Wow. Oh, wow. my goodness. We saved this guy from cancer surgery yeah. when he didn't even have cancer. So I always recommend that people get a second opinion Mm -hmm. and I use uh, the major institutions for second opinions. I like Mayo. I like Cleveland Clinic, Northwestern to give me a second opinion on those kinds of things. I'm not saying that they have to then do the therapy that those second opinions tell us, but I say, get a second opinion. So we know for sure what you're dealing with. Then we kind of look at what is your goal? Why are you here? What is your goal as far as what you want to do? And well, of course, I want want to get over this. Mm -hmm. Okay. We first start with diet then, because Mm -hmm. that's what led you to this point to begin with. So we're going to have to change your diet. And the research is pretty strong. As you saw, I I sent you some of that. The the big push today, particularly coming from... uh, uh, the uh, naturopathic oncology groups that, oh my goodness, we need to do the ketogenic diet because that's yeah. going to help us because of the, the Warburg effect and, mm-hmm. oh my goodness, cancer cells drink um, glucose and all that. But the actual scientific research says the ketogenic diet, ketosis actually triggers more metastases. It actually grows more cancer. It actually makes you worse. Mm-hmm. which is really a disservice to the industry, but they're not looking at the real literature in there. Part of it is because their own personal beliefs are they want to eat meat and that's fine. I don't care. People want to eat meat. That's their choice. But right. if they really want to reverse cancer, you don't put them on a pro cancer diet. Correct. <laughs> and so they're going to be plant-based if they really want to reverse their cancer the first thing you have to do is go plant-based. Is it automatic? It's going to reverse cancer? No, but you're not going to reverse it without it. Right. Mm-hmm. You have to start with those foundation things. Then we have to look at, well, what other things did you get exposed to Why you have cancer and your brother or sister doesn't, or your mom or dad doesn't, or your spouse doesn't? Why do you, but your spouse doesn't? And you lived in the same household. You may have been exposed to the same thing. Okay, well, there's some specific things in your genetics that are a little bit different. You process things a little bit different than other people do. And you may not get rid of toxins as well. 
So we look at what are the things that you can do, one that you can afford because diet you can afford. Two, saunas, mm -hmm. water change, lifestyle change. Those kinds of things is where we have to start. Mm -hmm. And then once we do that, then we look at foundation nutrition, mm -hmm. a supplement that we can get them on. I use um, the one that O'Brien Pharmacy has, the Optimal Daily Allowance. That's a base supplement. Why? Because when you look at the label, it has all of the Krebs cycle nutrients. That's what we've got to have. And we've got to have them in therapeutic levels, mm -hmm. just like we should be getting them in our food. So essentially what we're doing with supplementation, we're making up for what's not, but should be in our food. Because if our food really had all the nutrition, we wouldn't have insects either. So yeah, now when I eat that, I'm going to have all the nutrients that I need for my body to detoxify, the liver to work, my immune system to work like it's supposed to, and build new cells. Hey, let me interrupt this episode real quick to offer another prescription along your healing journey. This one may be not what you're thinking of. Let me guess. You're doing the nutrition, the supplements, the sauna, the exercise, the peptides, the yoga, but there's still a feeling like something is missing in your healing journey. Where two or more are gathered, there is indeed healing power, and we are going to gather way more than two people. I do believe our healing journey does not reach its capacity until we have entered into the portal that is a healing spiritual medicine retreat. In order for our brain to rewire itself, reprogram limiting beliefs, anxious thoughts, and even cellular healing code for our physical body to get better, we must break the pattern we live in. We can do this by engulfing ourselves in a healing retreat. I want to invite you into the healing container I create just once a year, our spiritual medicine healing retreat in Yalapa, Mexico, January 14th through the 19th of 2024. We have various pricing package options for all budgets, all inclusive besides your travel. I promise you, you cannot come back from this healing experience the same. Imagine organic healing foods, instant ocean access, sleeping in open air or closed if you prefer rooms, listening to the oceans, tropical rainforest waterfall excursions, deep sea snorkeling, boat rides, healing sessions, shaman ceremony, and space and rest and time to connect with your soul, which is the true medicine. This is the annual experience my team and I curate just for you once a year and it sells out every single time. So if you're listening to this, I know you crave deep healing. So click on the link in the show notes or go to inspirehealthbygen.com slash retreats. That's inspirehealthbygen.com slash retreats for more information. Or if you're listening to this podcast and hear this after the retreat has passed, check out the retreats page still for another unique in-person healing experience in the future. What about our hormone levels when it comes to cancer or autoimmune or anything where we're like, I'm not well, my health and my timeline is ticking. Yes. How can we get, well, you sent the beautiful research presentation and I, I can guide with questions, but I know you have like a, yes. a, a well, we know that every cell of your body has hormone receptors. Those receptors both require nutrients to function and the nutrients require the hormones for the nutrients to be able to be assimilated. So we have to have hormones in order to be healthy. The unfortunate thing that particularly cancer sufferers don't understand, the number one cause of death 
of women in the United States is heart disease. The number one cause of death of men in the United States is heart disease, not mm -hmm. prostate cancer, not breast cancer in women. Breast cancer is, in fact, number six, I think it is. Mm -hmm. It's heart disease. So what's the first thing that the doctors do when you get breast cancer, prostate cancer? They kill all your hormones. Mm. How do they so do that? You're probably not going to die of breast cancer and prostate cancer because you're going to die of heart disease first. You're going to die of a heart attack first more often than not. The research also shows your immune system is absolutely correlated to your hormone levels. And so we have to have adequate hormone levels in order for our immune system to work like it's supposed to, to go after and clear out the cancer. Yeah. And so for us to heal, let's say you go in and you have a mastectomy. Let's say you go in and you have a prostatectomy. You have to heal from that trauma. Surgery is a trauma. You need the hormones in order for the cells to be able to regenerate, in order to be able to heal and able to be able to put that system back together and operate like it's supposed to, in order to be able to clear the anesthesia, in order to clear all the antibiotics and the drugs and things that you were put on for that surgery. The hormones are a key component of that. And we know the hormones, whether male or female, are key to heart, brain, and bone health. Mm -hmm. And without those, those things fall apart. Yes. And those are the leading causes of death or disability in the United States. So when a traditional cancer journey with conventional medicine, you said that the first thing they do is kill hormones. How are they doing that? Well, basically they're giving you, if you're a man, they're giving you hormone blockers, Lupron, for example, uh, blockers to get rid of those things. If you're a woman, basically they're saying, oh, get rid of all the hormones that you're taking. And then of course they're giving you chemotherapy, which knocks all of that down in and of itself. And with a man, they're doing um, essentially a chemical castration Mm -hmm. to get rid of the production side of it with a woman frequently they're recommending well um you know we need to get rid of those ovaries yeah. and so there's a lot of prophylactic um total hysterectomies being done uh because of genetics and so on and so then the women are suffering over time yeah those problems if you were to catch one of these women or one of these men upstream before they went down this path what could you tell them what could you do for them and I know the answer I want. I want to hear you encourage people about bioidenticals, even with before, during. Or after. Absolutely. We're, we're going to use bioidenticals. Um, we may have different ratios of them, uh, depending mm -hmm. on what's going on. For example, estriol is going to be best if you've had a female cancer because it's the non-proliferative estrogen, but it still protects the heart and protects the brain, the bones and so on for us. And it's very important for you to feel good so that you can do the things that you need to do, continue to exercise and so on. And without the hormones, you're all dragged out. You can't, you don't feel like doing anything. You're depressed. And so that depression correlates to what your immune system does as well. So I'm going to recommend bioidentical hormones because one, that's exactly what your body's been producing anyway. It's not synthetic. It's exactly what the body produces. And so it, it, it's interesting to me how many, even doctors say, oh my gosh, you got to stay away from the hormones. Really? So do you acknowledge that women who've had pregnancies and have babies have a lower risk of breast cancer than women who've never had babies. Right. Oh, yes, yes. That's what the literature shows. Really? What happens to a woman's hormones when she's pregnant? They're Estri about 10 times of when she's not pregnant. Yeah. Oh, really? 
Well, then how is it that hormones at 10 times your normal levels become protective of mm. breast cancer? And then in the end, we say, oh, gee, we got to get rid of the hormones. What? That's not what nature is telling us. Mm-hmm. When's the highest risk or, or how does the trend go in the risk of breast cancer? Um, it's the older you are, the higher your risk for breast cancer and prostate cancer. Well, wait a minute. What's going on with the hormones during that same time? They're gradually dropping. Mm-hmm. Oh, but we've got to get rid of the hormones. It's just so lack of common sense to think about what is nature doing? And that was the one thing that a mentor of my Carrie Reams always told me to do. He said, you got any question about anything life-wise or living-wise, look to nature. Mm-hmm. Always look to nature. What does nature do about these things? What do you see or observe happening in nature? Because that's what real physiology is about. How does yeah. nature and the estriol that you're talking about, it's super high during pregnancy. It's yes. what I want to give a little caveat and then feel free to expand Dr. Anderson of, and not all bioidenticals are created equal. I feel right. like I, I, I didn't touch bioidenticals when I was functional medicine nurse practitioner until I met Lisa and yourself, because I was like, I'm seeing my clients be kind of screwed up from these or yes. like women on, we talked about this at dinner, but women who are given, they're like, Oh, they're just small men. So they give them testosterone injections and oral progesterone and they're, and then they're at even more of a risk than they began with. Do you want to expand on that? Yes, absolutely. So I, and I've seen, unfortunately, a number of women because there's a big fad push continuing today about, Oh, just give women um, testosterone because they feel good. Well, you got to understand that it's a bit, it's the analogy I give is like giving you Adderall when you don't really (laughs) need Adderall. It's speed. And so, yeah, initially she's going to feel good. She's going to feel strong. She's going to feel powerful, but she's a woman and she has estrogen and progesterone receptors as well as testosterone receptors. And when you fill all of them with testosterone, you downregulate the female receptors And very key to a woman's brain function is her estrogen and progesterone. So she gets depressed over time. She has more anxiety over time. The other thing about it is, is that then as well, well, she starts growing facial hair. And it's interesting how many men will say, oh, well, that doesn't make any difference. She can shave every day. Yeah, right. No, most women don't appreciate. I would die if I had to shave. (laughs) Yeah, they may shave their legs but they don't appreciate having to shave their face and particularly then they don't appreciate having the depression long-term. So then what happens is also um, potentially long-term we end up with pituitary tumors Mm -hmm. because we've so imbalanced the steroid hormones in the system that the body just cries uncle. It's trying to balance things that it doesn't have. Um, in that system. And how long does it take for a woman to have those experiences? I don't know. Each woman is going to be different and how she does that. The other thing is, is then they're giving oral progesterone. So you're running a steroid hormone through the digestive system. Mm -hmm. Most doctors understand if you did that to testosterone, it's an absolute no, no. That's how you increase your cancer risk. That's how you um, overstress the liver. Well, where in nature do we get those kinds of hormones? You don't. You don't. And so we shouldn't be putting them through the liver because that's where we get the undesirable 
uh, byproducts that do actually increase the risk of cancers. So how are the hormones that you use? I use many of the practitioners, anyone through O'Brien Pharmacy is yes. used. We how, use a troche. We uh -huh. use a troche, which is equivalent to an oral suppository. Because what we want to do is we want to go right into the bloodstream. So you put them through the mucous membranes, which is what the mucous membrane was meant to have. So between the cheek and the gum, a lot of people say, oh, no, you're, you're swallowing it. No, it's not a lozenge. You're not putting it under your tongue. You're not sucking on it. You're not chewing on it. It goes between the cheek and the gum. It dissolves fat-soluble, boom, right through the mucous membrane. We know that because when we track serum levels, it's there. Yeah. When we do pills, it's not there. When we do creams, it's not there. And so we know that we get it in where it's supposed to be. And the other thing is, is our body is a circadian system. And so twice a day, hormones are excreted. Well, atrocious is a 12 hour system. And so we're matching as much as we can the body's own natural circadian excretion rhythm twice a day. Yeah. And so we don't get that roller coaster that frequently we get with shots or we get with the uh, pill implants or, or the um, cream. Um, gels and creams, that kind of stuff. Now, we do use creams vaginally at times right. if we have to, particularly if they've got incontinence, dysperiunia, um, lichen sclerosis, those kinds of things. Absolutely. Because we've got to get it right there in the tissue. That's for and, the pelvic um, floor. That for the is done. But again, that's mucous membrane. It's like a suppository too. Beautiful. I know the hormones have definitely changed my health and my life. So I'm hearing you say, and I want to reiterate this for listeners, that you would be very comfortable offering a man or a woman as one of your patients, a holistic cancer approach and giving them information they're probably not receiving elsewhere. Absolutely. And, and we do. And um, so the most important thing is hope, but you've got to actually give them substance and things to give them hope. It's not just an experiment. We've yeah. got the data to show it and how they execute it is part of it. And a lot of people, particularly, um, they don't have a lot of extra cash to uh, dump into a whole bunch of testing for things that they already know are there. Right. And I see a lot of things uh, just spent money on, oh, we're going to do the testing here to see if you've got molds. Well, great. But the reality is, is that most of the molds are coming from the food. Mm -hmm. Yes, you may be breathing it. So we got to make sure your house is clean and those kinds of things. Absolutely. Um, but we really got to get your food cleaned up. Mm -hmm. And that, again, that's a dietary process. And then we got to get your liver working because the liver is what's got to detoxify this yes. thing. Get your skin working because that's how you're going to sweat it out type of thing. Beautiful. Yeah. I see a lot of time, energy, dollars spent on mold when it could be a lot simpler. Oh my goodness. And not only that, they're using um, some antifungal drugs that are very hard on the liver and they're doing a three-month process. And it's, um, I think it borders on malpractice in my personal opinion. And um, I can say that because 25 years ago and 30 years ago, I was working with a veterinarian, Dan Scow, who was one of the pioneers in mycotoxins in animal feed. And he was responsible for the lab starting really to do the testing for various different mycotoxins. Serolinone and, and various uh, ochratoxin and various other ones, because in animal feeds, you find that. And we would have all kinds of animal health problems in the baby pigs, in the cattle and so on. And so he recognized that, wait a minute, we've got to look at that. But he didn't then treat 
ochratoxins or any of those toxins with an antifungal, you've got to clean up the feed. Yeah. Knock the fungus out of the feed. The fungus is not the problem in the animal. It's the toxins that are the problem in the animal. And it's the same thing with people. And so when you send in and have a mole evaluation, they're not really checking for mold. What they're doing is they're checking for mycotoxins. Mm -hmm. And treating a toxin with a drug is an oxymoron. (laughs) it's, It's the toxin, not the fungus that is the issue. We got to get the fungus out of the food. Mm-hmm. You don't have all this fungus growing in the body. Usually if you do, yeah, we're going to see it in the gut. We're going to see yeast issues, some of that. Okay. Yep. Yeah, and, and we'll address that. We definitely will address that. But typically it's because you're getting toxins, just like people that have black mold in their house, it's the toxin that's causing problems for them that they're breathing and so on. And that's what we really have to address. Dr. Anderson, you weave and take us through medicine seems like a maze and confusing and people get lost and they run out of money along the way. You've made this so simple and so easy to understand. And your final closing thoughts to our audience how can you guide people? Like just, they're going to hear this episode and be like, that just makes sense. But how do we get lost in this like hullabaloo of falseness? How do how can we stay on the path and, and know what's true and be yeah, guided? You're absolutely right. And, 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 and people do panic a little bit, you know, they're sick. They don't feel good. They may be getting pressure from the workplace. They may be getting pressure from spouse or family. Hey, you need to go to the doctor and get this done, you know, type of thing. And, and they're just frustrated. They don't feel good. And when you don't feel good, sometimes you don't make the best decisions for yourself. Mm-hmm. And so the most important thing that I tell people is that we have to start with foundation and that's your diet, which for some people is yes, the most difficult thing to do. Um, we may need to get some counseling to help them with some of that decision-making process. And, and I don't necessarily mean psychological counseling. They may need a life coach to help them mm-hmm. through this process. You might say to hold their hand. Yeah. And well, that's why they come to me. That's why they come to you. We kind of act also as life coaches to help them, to encourage them, um, help them with food decisions, help them with diet decisions, help them with that preparation. Cause that's really the most important thing. It, there are no miracle drugs. Um, well, some of them are miracle depending upon what's going on, but um, there, there really are no magic bullets. Let me put it that way. There are really no magic bullets. And so we still have to change the diet because if we don't change the diet and let's say still they get treated and okay, this cancer goes away. But if they still are doing the same diet, it's going to return later on again. And it frequently does. And Mm -hmm. only now worse. Now we got Mets. And um, so we really have to change what led to this. And of course, inflammation is the foundation of all of these things anyway. So we have to do things to reduce that inflammation. And that's where we start with diet. Beautiful. I know many listeners are like, how can we get in contact with Dr. Anderson. Are you taking clients? How can they reach you? Where they, where can they find you? What's the easiest way? Yes, to get- yes, we do. And it's Anderson Medical Group. My phone number is 816-681-2693. And kind of in transition now with various different things, but I'm going to be seeing patients um, at 7700 Shawnee Mission Parkway, Suite 209. It is just a transition. We're kind of making that 
going on right now, trying to decide for sure what all we're going to do and and who we're going to do it with and so on. So I apologize for that. But I also do a lot of uh, phone consults, uh, particularly since COVID in Kansas now, we're allowed to do that with patients. And so we do a lot of virtual visits for patients. And that really is very helpful. And I've found that to be very successful as well. So we can do that too. I love that. And they can also go to O'Brien, O-B-R-I-E-N-R-X.com, get more resources on bioidenticals, get in touch with pharmacists there, get in touch with Dr. Yes. Anderson. All this will be in the show notes. So those, and you are, I think it's really important. One of the reasons I wanted uh, my audience to hear from you is when it comes to holistic healing options for cancer, you can take that on. Absolutely. And we do. Beautiful. And it's a beautiful partnership with the pharmacy. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Anderson, for spending your time with us today. I know our listeners are eternally grateful and we appreciate your expertise. My pleasure. Thank you very much. And you have a good day as well. How was that? I spent some time chatting with Dr. Arden Anderson after we got off the air and for my community and those of you who we've worked together, we work together, we will work together. It means so much to me. And you're like, let's do your podcast, Jenny. I heard you say that on the podcast. And I don't take that lightly because I know that you value and trust and you feel resonance in the information shared here. And from the bottom of my heart, if you, a friend, a family member need alternative options for your cancer healing journey, Dr. Anderson and his wife, Lisa, but starting with Dr. Anderson, is where I personally go, is where I would put all my eggs in their basket. Um, We didn't talk about this on the show. It's not really a public conversation, but other places Dr. Anderson has been and been high up in the leadership of that that operate holistic cancer healing journeys. And, you know, you're spending 14K out of the gate just for testing, just to get the basics. It's the same protocol. He shared with me the inside of it, guys. It's the same protocol for everyone. There's no data. There's no outcomes measured. They're not questioning. They're, they can't tell you, oh, this is how much you're, you'll spend. And these are the success rates. They can't tell you any of that. It's a, it's a protocol. It's a moneymaker. It's become even these holistic doesn't seem like it's run by corporate. It is run by corporate. And so that question I asked Dr. Anderson at the end of like, how do you find your way through the maze? Well, you're here. You're, you didn't hear this podcast by accident and you have people on the face of the planet. When I, Whenever I hang out with Dr. Anderson and his wife, Lisa, I'm like, oh my gosh, the white knights of medicine. We are here. We often aren't in the, the fanciest, flashiest buildings. We are here. We are speaking. We are educating. We are holding your hand through the process and your body can absolutely heal. If this message has inspired you, has given you something today, and you would like to keep the karmic gratitude and circle of giving going, please subscribe to this podcast. Please leave a five-star review if that's what resonates with you. Tell us what really helped you. If you have any questions, topic requests, you can fill them out below and we will definitely see you next week on the Inspire Health by Jen podcast.